Father, we pray for uh, your Holy Spirit to speak to us just now. And we also pray, God, right now for uh, our brothers and sisters in Iraq. Many of them are fleeing for their life. Some of them have already lost their lives at the hand of extremists. God, we also pray for the minority groups that are also being persecuted. God, we pray bring justice and that there be a revival of your love and power in that nation. Pray for the peace in Gaza. Pray for the thousands and thousands of Muslim brothers and sisters and Christian brothers and sisters there, God, who are just struggling because of all that's going on. Pray for protection in Israel, the land of Israel with the rocket fire. We pray for you bring a lasting resolve. God, we give these things to you. God, we want to say thank you in the middle of all this. You're a great God. Speak, we pray, right into hearts. You know everyone in this room. You love them, Father. Let's hear your voice in Jesus' name. Amen. Cool. Let me add my welcome to Paul's. Welcome to our gathering. Welcome to church. Uh, my name is Peter, pastor here at Destiny. Uh, we're on a journey through the book of Genesis. And today we come to Genesis 15. Um, Warren Buffy, who in 2006 was the second richest man at that time, um, in 2006 he announced that he was going to donate 85% of his $44 billion fortune to five charitable foundations. Uh, commenting on this extreme level of generosity, he said, there's more than one way to get to heaven, but this is a great way. Hmm. Now, the difficulty is we ain't all got that kind of money to barter our way into heaven. And my question, and I guess the, the obvious thing is that there's no way that we can buy our way into heaven. But there is a way you can get to heaven. How do you get to heaven? How do you get right with God? Uh, religions, on the whole, say, well, your good deeds get weighed against your bad deeds. And if it kind of falls on the side of your good deeds, then you get in. Okay, if I got a speeding fine, not that I ever have. If I got a speeding fine, you all know what that's like. You know, and I said to the, to the policeman, listen, sir, I'll never do it again. I'll never do it again. He'd say, great, but you still have to pay your fine. And you think God is less just than the police? If we sin, you know, our good deeds outweigh the bad deeds. Okay, I'll be better, I'll be better. Well, what about all the bad stuff? Just, just goes? Can God just turn a blind eye? If someone committed a criminal offense against your family and the judge just turned a blind eye and said, I'll be nice this time, you'd say that's unjust. And yet we say that would be what God would like, be like? No way. Uh, kind of Edinburgh takes the approach that, well, you know, we're typically, as long as you're sincere and you treat people well, then God will let you into heaven. Now, I know that's totally convenient, and it's a nice thing to say. But unfortunately, it's really not what the Bible says. The Bible gives us a far more radical and incredibly exciting and life-changing only way of getting right with God. Owen, would you guys mind popping the lights on just so people can take notes if they want to? Okay, so how do we get right with God? Let's turn to Genesis chapter 15 verses 5 and 6. Talking about Abraham, it says, he took him outside, that's God. God took him outside. Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abraham, in fact you can read this with me, one, two, three. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Say it again. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. He credited it to him as righteousness. So Abraham is a man of faith, okay? We're clear on that. I mean, everyone understands he's a man of faith. We, we see him as the father of faith. What was his faith like? Well, Abraham grew up in a, in a city called Ur of the Chaldeans. He moved when he was younger and then he moved again because God led him. He grew up in an idolatrous environment. According to Joshua 24, verse 2, his parents, certainly, his family, was, were idol worshippers. Was Abraham an idol worshipper? We don't know, but certainly his family were. 
God spoke to him. I want you to go from your country, from your people, and from your father's household. God, in the, I don't know if this is the first time Abraham had ever heard God, but God spoke and he told him to leave everything. What God was saying is don't just geographically relocate. He was saying leave your community, your security, your relatives, and potentially your idols. And Abraham went. And God doesn't even give him a definite destination. He said, leave to a place that I will show you. It wasn't like, leave and that's where you're going. It was, leave and I'll keep you right as you go. I mean, that's faith. And that's how God works with us, yeah? Furthermore, he was 75 years old. Man, Paul's nearly as old as that. Seriously old. And he was willing to get out of his comfort zone and take that step. Genesis 14, by faith, he rose up and his nephew Lot had been taken captive. And Abraham, by faith, took on five, four kings and their armies. We're led to believe that Abraham was Glaswegian. But he operated by faith. He trusted God and he took on four kings with 300 men on his side. Incredible. His wife was barren, and yet he believed that despite their past, the childbearing age, and despite her being barren, he believed that God was going to provide him not just a descendant, but that a whole nation of people were going to be born through him. I mean, it's incredible faith. Abraham believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Many Jewish rabbis said in the time of Jesus, and would say today, that Abraham was righteous because he was such an obedient person, he was a a model of obedience to God, and he lived right, and that's what made him righteous. It wasn't so much his faith, it was more his faithfulness. That's not what the Bible says. In fact, I don't know he was that good a guy. Okay, he might have been an idol worshiper. We've just said that already. Genesis 12, he went to Egypt and he lied about his wife. Let me just read it to you. It's not on the screen. Just read it to you. Genesis 12, 12 to 13. When the Egyptians see you, this is Abraham speaking to his wife, Sarah. When they see you, they'll say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say, you are my sister. And I will be treated well for your sake And my life will be spared because of you. Now, I've never tried this with my wife. But for those who have tried this with their wife, my guess is it probably didn't go down that well, right? Sarah was 75 years old, but apparently she was an incredibly hot grandma. She was a hot lady, very old hot lady, to the degree which Abraham feared for his life that someone was going to try and kill him to get to her. I mean, that's incredible. And he he did this thing with his wife, said, just say you're my sister, Uh-uh. Genesis 15 Abraham starts the chapter starts talking about Abraham was afraid and God had to speak to him about his fear this is after he'd taken on the four kings he was afraid, he maybe feared retaliation retribution okay then God speaks to him and says you're righteous in the middle of him calling his wife his sister in the middle of him coming from an idolatrous background you're righteous Genesis 16 says that Abraham slept with his servant, had sex with her, didn't, didn't just sleep with her, he was awake for a bit. Okay, Hagar, the, the female servant, he had sex with someone who wasn't his wife. Genesis 20, Abraham lies again about Sarah, and this time to a king called Abimelech, and he said, she's my sister. And then Genesis 25 reveals that Abraham had concubines. Right, so there's a lot of stuff going on in, our, in this man's life that if it was going on in any one of your life, if, like if any one of you had concubines, we would say, no, you're not righteous, you're, you're a pervert, you're a sinner. That's what we'd say about you. And yet the Bible says that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. The rabbis were wrong when they say, yeah, he was a really good moral example of piety. He wasn't. He was a mess, just like... You and me. Romans 3, 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's like we're swimming to Hawaii, and some of us get further than others, but not one of us will make it. (laughs) Not one of us will make it swimming to Hawaii. Not one. We all fall short. We see God's standard of righteousness. God's standard of righteousness is absolute perfection. Perfection. 
and we see our failings and not all of us fall short. Um, Here's a quote by Michael Stephen Cole and it kind of sums up the idea of sin and God's judgment. Most people have the idea that when it comes time for judgment, God, who they conceive as nice, God will not be harsh as long as the person has been sincere, has tried their best to be a good person. In other words, people pull God down from his position of absolute righteousness as revealed in the Bible and make him out as some tolerant, kind of tolerant of some types of sin as long as it's not too bad by human standards. And they lift up sinful men from their condition of hostility towards God, as the Bible reveals, and make them out as basically good folks who mean well. So they erroneously concludes that a pretty good God will be nice and let pretty good people into heaven in spite of their faults. The problem we've got, folks, is the Bible reveals an absolute God who is absolutely holy, absolutely righteous. The Bible conversely reveals about us that we are fallen and that we are absolutely sinful. So how can sinners get to heaven? How can we get right with God? Okay, this verse about Abraham is quoted numerous times in the New Testament. Here's the big key one. This is the one we're going to dwell on. I'm going to go a bit technical here because I want you to get it. This truth has changed my life. This truth is the truth of truths. I want you to get it. It's the truth called justification by faith. Say it with me. Justification by faith. Romans chapter 4. Paul the apostle writes and says, what shall we say that Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as a due. But to the one who does not work, to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, His faith is credited as righteousness. You just read what I read? To the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is credited as righteousness. So what's justification? Well, it's a legal term. It means to pronounce or to declare or to accept and to treat as righteous. Righteousness, or sorry, justification is the opposite of condemnation. Condemnation is to declare someone guilty. Justification is to declare someone not guilty, righteous. You see, A prisoner who served their term in prison and maybe has even experienced forgiveness from the person they committed the crime against, even as a free person, will always have a criminal record. But when the Bible says you've been justified, it means that God declares you as a person who has never sinned. You can't be righteous if you've ever sinned. So justification is a declaration that you actually have never sinned. Here's the dilemma. It's the justice dilemma. Deuteronomy, God's own law, Deuteronomy 25 verse 1 says, if there is a dispute between men and they go to court, the judges decide their case. And they will justify the righteous and condemn the wicked. Now we get that. That makes logical sense. You justify the righteous, not guilty. And you condemn the wicked. Guilty. Proverbs 17, 15 reinforces this. And it makes the point in a different way. It says, he who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous 
Both of them alike are an abomination to the Lord. So if a judge comes along, and if you were in a court case, and the judge in that court case said to the wicked person, you're, you're guiltless, you're free. And if the judge said to the righteous person, guilty, wicked, condemned, then you would say that's warped and that would be unjust and that person isn't fit to be a judge. The Bible goes further, it says an abomination to the Lord. That's what it says. But in Romans chapter 4, the same Bible, inspired by the same God, it says that he, God, justifies the ungodly. So is he contradicting his own words? King David, another amazing man from the Old Testament, he prayed and said this in Psalm 143 verse 2. Do not enter into judgment with your servant, for in your sight no man living is in himself righteous or justified. That was until one man, years after David, one of David's offspring actually, Jesus was born to a virgin. Born to a virgin means he didn't inherit traits of his parents. That's why it's important. He wasn't the product of a man and woman reproducing, not just in their physical likeness, but their whole being in a person. He didn't inherit a bloodline from Adam, a sinful fallen race. He was not a sinner by birth, unlike you and I, we're sinners by birth. Furthermore, Jesus throughout his life lived sin-free, the only human being who's ever lived sin-free. So the only person who properly could be declared righteous based on their behavior, there was only one person ever, and it was Jesus Christ. But he died on the cross. Isaiah, speaking about Jesus' death on the cross, tells you exactly why that innocent man died on that cross. And by the way, he wasn't just a man, he is God himself in the flesh. He's fully God, fully man. God did something for you. Here's what he did. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4. Surely our griefs he himself bore. All your griefs. On the cross, he bore it. And our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. We think, oh yeah, he was... And the people at the cross presumed he was under God's judgment. You know, God's judging him. But no, no. He was pierced through for our transgressions. Folks, he was not being judged for any sin he had committed. He was judged for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. You ever sinned? You think Jesus means nothing to you? Folks, I don't care if you're the biggest atheist in the world. There was a person who, because of all the things you've done wrong, loved you that much he took all that upon himself and died in your place. He was chastened for our well-being. By his scourging, we are healed. But the Lord had caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. He was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people, to whom the stroke was due. We deserved it. He died in our place. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief, if he would render himself a guilt offering. It's incredible what took place on the cross. Notice it said the Lord was pleased to crush him. Jesus wasn't paying some due to Satan. He wasn't paying off the devil. He wasn't paying a ransom to Satan for us. No, no. God is Trinity. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And on the cross, God the Son offered his own blood to God the Father to appease the Father's wrath against sin. God, being just, cannot ignore sin. And he didn't ignore sin. It's just he didn't judge you. He judged Jesus instead. He's fully just. Justice has been satisfied because of blood that was shed. It's incredible. Have you ever seen at the end of a football match uh, where the winning team take off their T-shirts and they give it to the losing team and the losing team, they swap shirts. So you inherit these sweaty T-shirts. But the losing team, what do they now look like? The losing team now look, look like the winning team, and the winning team now look like the losing team. That's kind of what took place on the cross. Jesus' perfect record, he lived sin-free. He lived righteous. His perfect record is given to you. And our sinful record was placed on Jesus. The eternal law of God is, 
demanded that man must die because of sin. The eternal love of God longed for man to live. And when Jesus was on the cross, the full weight of God's eternal law was thrown against him so that God's eternal love and moral demands could be satisfied by showing us mercy. Max Lucado said this, ponder the achievement of God. He doesn't condone our sin, nor does he compromise his standards. He doesn't ignore our rebellion, nor does he relax his demands. Rather than dismiss our sin, he assumes our sin, and incredibly, he sentences himself. God's holiness is honored. Our sin is punished. And we are redeemed. God is still God. And the wages of sin is still death. And we are made perfect. Romans chapter 4 verse 3. Abraham, read it with me. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Credited. What does it mean, credited? Credited in the Greek language, different words are used in different translations. Your translation might say something different. Credited, counted, reckoned, imputed. All words describing the same thing. Something's been transferred to someone's account that previously was not there. Came across, as I was preparing for this message, came across a story about two guys, uh, to try and get their names right, uh, two brothers, they were homeless and broke. Their names were Geza and Z- uh, Zlot. They lived in a cave near Budapest. They, they, had, um, they lived by selling scrap metal and living off the income. And then they lived in a cave, totally homeless, totally destitute. And one day, uh, some charity workers found them in the cave. And they were, had been looking for them because they had news that uh, their grandmother, the maternal grandmother, had died, leaving a $6.6 billion fortune in their name. You imagine that? You imagine being Zlot, sitting there in the cave. You have inherited 6.6 billion. I mean, wow. But it changed a few things, right? I mean, they could have put some nice pictures up in their cave. <laughs> I mean, that's nuts. That we think, oh, wouldn't that be great? Do you know, do you, you haven't yet understood that something great has happened to you potentially <laughs> if you're saved? This is incredible, and this is a picture of he credits to our account something that wasn't previously there. They didn't earn it, it was just given to them, right? God credits to your account righteousness because he credited to Christ's account your sin. Martin Luther, the great reformer, calls it the great exchange. And then what do we get in response? Well, we get this thing called the gift of righteousness, Question, could you still be righteous? I've forgotten the question. (laughs) Let me see if I'll read it. I'll I'll just read it to you. How could you be righteous without any of your performance being righteous? There we go. That's the question. How could you be righteous without any of your performance being righteous? That's a good question. On the flip side, how could Jesus be accredited with your sin without any of his performance being sinful? It's the same point. It's just as remarkable that you can be righteous without any of your performance ever having been righteous. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21. You've got to read this with me. 1, 2, 3. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Do you not understand when you come to Christ, it's not just that you haven't just become religious. You haven't just got a new way of living. No, you've crossed from death to life. Your sin is eternally dealt with and you've become the righteousness of God in him. That's how remarkable and radical, I wouldn't, I'm not interested in religion. I'm really not. 
It causes so many problems. But I'm interested in a God who's done something remarkable for me in Jesus. And I want to tell the world about it. This is amazing. He received our sin. We receive his righteousness. God credited sin to Jesus' accounts. God credits righteousness to your account. He was made sin with my sin. I am made righteous and you are made righteous with his righteousness. If you're a righteous person and you sin, do you continue to be a righteous person? Okay, if you're a sinner and you did a righteous act, would you cease being a sinner? Do you know when you were a sinner, you did good stuff, but you were still a sinner? And I want you to know that when you come to Christ and God declares you righteous and you sin, you don't cease being righteous. Because it's not based on your performance. If it was, we're all in trouble. This is based on a remarkable thing that a holy God, yet an incredibly loving God, did for you. And you need to understand that justification is an instant act. As instant as if you were in a courtroom and you saw a judge throwing down his hammer and saying, guilty. Or, not guilty. Now, there are repercussions that may last for years following that verdict. But you need to understand that justification, that verdict, is an instantaneous thing in someone's life. Repercussions might last for years. You might have someone declared guilty in a courtroom. It happens instantly. And they might spend the next years and years in that prison cell living in the repercussions of that verdict. Equally, you might have someone in a courtroom and the verdict is not guilty. And you walk out of that courtroom, you're a free person. And you know what? You might go on to live a life of self-improvement. You might live grateful. But the verdict happened in an instant. And that verdict over your life remains forever. And therefore, justification is a moment instantaneous thing. Romans 4 verse 5 says, To the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. It's an instantaneous act. Therefore, when he declares you righteous, you are at that point ungodly. Right? It might be that you start to do a few more godly things following that. We'd hope maybe that would be the case. Right? But the truth is, it's nothing, in that moment, your behavior has nothing to do with it. He declares righteous whether you're living that or not. It's incredible. One of the most ultimate and thrilling examples in the Bible is right at the crucifixion of Jesus. You see, when Jesus hung on the cross, he wasn't alone. I think God set the entire scene up. There was, beside him, on one side, there was a thief, a criminal, and there on the other side was a thief and a criminal. Both of them were guilty. Both of them saw Jesus. Both of them saw his innocence. Both of them knew he should not have been there. Both of them probably knew who he was. Both of them were about to die. And yet, one of them made a response that changed them forever. Let's read it for you. It's amazing. Luke 23, 39. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said. Since you're under the same sentence and we are punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Wow. Now, I'm sure the pain continued. I'm sure he was in anguish for hours and hours. But do you know what? Something on the inside had changed from that moment. Imagine you were that thief. 
Do you know what? I would rather be that thief and have died of crucifixion than live a life of luxury never having known God and die lost. Because I know eternally speaking who's the happier. This thief, here's the truth. He was a thief. He was a convicted criminal. He hadn't done much good stuff. So he, he had done nothing good and he was crucified. And he came to Jesus as he was being crucified. He could no, do no good deeds after that point. It wasn't like, all right, I'm a believer now. I've got to help someone. He couldn't have done a thing. He'd done no good deeds. He was saved. He did no good deeds following being saved and entered heaven. I mean, that's, that is incredible. Now, that'll be like nothing to you if you don't realize how serious your sin is. If you don't realize you are a lost individual outside of God, this would be like water for ducks back. What's all this fuss about? I realize I am a lost person outside of God. And therefore, I've just been thrown a lifeline. So if you ain't going to be happy, that's up to you. But I'm going to be seriously happy. That changes my everything. That Jesus died in my place, took my sin upon himself, and credits to me righteousness that I don't deserve. And I'm forever free. Imagine, imagine you were a criminal standing before God, the judge of all. Imagine this, right? And God throws his hammer down and says, guilty for all eternity. Dramatic rim tone. <laughs> guilty for all Guilty for all eternity. And uh, no appeal. Imagine how you would feel. Imagine the regret, the everlasting misery you were looking ahead to. Imagine that. Now imagine how good it is to know that when you stand before God, and actually it's not an event in the future. If you've come to Christ, this event has happened. He has declared you righteous for all eternity. You see, you you have stuff going on in life. I can understand that. We all have stuff going on in life. But when you understand that a verdict has been passed over your life that was accomplished at a very high price, it frees you up to live at a different life. It frees you up to live free. So how did you get it? Well, it's the same way Abraham got it. Faith. Romans chapter 4, verse 3. Abraham believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. Why faith? Why is it that Abraham had to believe God? Why wasn't it joy or humility? Or, you know, why wasn't it something else like like happiness? Abraham was happy, therefore God had credited. Why does it have to be faith? Okay, imagine it was happiness. Then every day, okay, I've got to be happy. (laughs) <laughs> right so yeah right so you gotta you gotta muster this up okay here's why i had to be faith because all other stuff is what you would have to do involves your effort it has to be faith because it's actually nothing about you don't think for a moment that faith is some pious work in and of itself that god oh that's righteous no 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 it's faith isn't an end in itself it's just a means to an end it's like arms Faith is like your arms. So if, if you were being offered an incredible gift, what do you do? You reach out your arms, that's like your faith, and you say, thank you. It's not like, look at my amazing arms. It's, it's just arms. That's all faith is, it's just arms. It's arms in your heart, it's arms that reach out and lay hold of that great gift that God has given you free of charge. You just say thank you. It's completely depending on him, not on you. See, when people say faith, I mean, this word is used so often, it's watered down, it becomes like religious faith. Oh yeah, I have a faith. Come on. I was trying to explain this to my boy yesterday, saying, Michael, you know, there's a, you know what, there's a difference between believing God and believing God. And he, he didn't get me. 
So, so I said, so face the other way, and he was looking the other way, and I said, do you believe in dad? And he said, yeah, I do. I said, now fall backwards. And he fell backwards, and I caught him. And I said, you see, there's a difference. It's not just believing the existence of dad. It's not just believing that oh, Jesus died on the cross, tick. No, you've missed it. It's reaching out your arms. It's placing your life in his hands. It's totally trusting him for your eternal salvation. It's complete resting your whole weight on God. This is so crucial. It says, to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Now notice, it's only one kind of people get this. It says, the only kind of people to get this are those who don't work. If you work, you don't get this. If there's a hint of, okay, I know this faith thing, I hear your message today, but I'm going to do a lot of good stuff as well, just in case it isn't all as simple as you've made it out to be, so I'm going to sort of hedge my bets a wee bit. You ain't got it. You see, faith plus anything results in nothing. It's not faith. Faith plus nothing gets everything. It's just pure faith. It's not hedging your bets. It's not, I'll work for it a wee bit as well, just in case the faith thing isn't all it's made out to be. No. It is complete trust in a God who is Savior. Now, who gets the glory for that salvation? You know, if you had to work, if if it was all about you, and you did all these good things, and God said, wow, look, I've got to save you, then who gets the glory? You do, because you've worked so hard And look at how great you are. Who gets the glory if all you did was totally trust in a sacrifice that took place on a cross 2,000 years ago and in a resurrection and a live Savior today? Who gets the glory? The Savior. Who rightly deserves to get it? I have no problem with that. I have no problem at all him getting full credit and glory for my salvation. So you fully trust to him who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. His faith, that kind of faith, is credited to him as righteousness. You've got to stop trying to save yourself. If you're taught life-saving techniques, you know you cannot save someone who's trying to currently save themselves. They've got to stop flailing in the water trying to save themselves, and then the lifesaver can come along and save them. So what's the result of justification? Folks, Justification by faith is more than just forgiveness. Forgiveness is a negative term. Justification is a positive term. You see, if, I was, if we knew each other and, and you really offended me, and then you said, I'm really sorry, and I said, okay, I forgive you. Okay, it's neutral. You're forgiven, sure. But it doesn't mean we're all buddy. It doesn't mean we hang out. It doesn't mean we can go to the ice cream shop together, right? But you are forgiven. But that's not justification. Justification includes forgiveness, but it goes beyond forgiveness. Justification, see, the way you could say it is forgiveness is someone saying to you, yeah, you can go. You can go free. But justification is you can come. Because justification isn't just the taking away of the negative debt, the sin. It's accrediting to your account. Righteousness. It means that God is now favorably disposed towards you. It's like you had failed all your exams last year at university. All fails, all of them. And it goes down on your record. You failed all the resets. It's not just that oh, okay, well, forget that record and you can start again. That's like forgiveness. Justification goes further. It's, by the way, we'll just clear that record. And and by the way, here's a class one degree, which I obtained for you and I now give it to you. You now operate as one who has like got this degree you hadn't earned. You get opportunities that you would, jobs, things, everything opens up for you because of something that someone else did for you. You see, the Father now interacts with us just as he interacts with Jesus. 
as accepted as Jesus is before the Father is as accepted as you are now before the Father. As qualified before God the Father as Jesus is, so as qualified as that are you. So when you come and pray, you don't say, Father, in the name of that offering I gave last Sunday, you saw how big it was. You could really answer my prayer now. You see that offering? You remember it? Let me remind you how much, how many zeros were at the end of the offering. Okay, now, whoa. To the one who doesn't work, but trusts in him who justifies the ungodly. It's in the name of, in the name of Jesus. What does that mean? It means I'm complete, I'm as accepted as Jesus is as accepted before the Father. I'm as loved as Jesus is loved. You see, the Father on the cross treated the Son like the worst sinner so that he could treat you like the best thing since sliced bread. That good. I came across this little part of a song by a guy called Gatsby Paget. I thought we could, we could say it together. Um, so near, so very near to God. Nearer I could not be. For in the person of his son, I am as near as he. So dear, so very dear to God, I could not dearer be. The love wherewith he loves his son, such is his love to me. That's justification. (laughs) And by the way, there's never been any other way, ever. It's not like, okay, this is one of the ways you get to God and then there's the Jewish laws and you obey the laws and then that's how you get to God that way. No, no. It is the only message of the Bible. In the Old Testament, before Jesus' death, they trusted God and Jesus' death made their trust acceptable as righteousness. It was a future event that justified them. For us, it's a past event that justifies us. 2,000 years ago, one died on the cross for us. Same faith, same justification, same sacrifice. There's never been another way. You look in the Bible, look at Noah. It says in Hebrews 11 verse 7, he received the righteousness that comes by faith. That's Noah. I don't know if you've read much about Noah. You've maybe seen him on TV a few times. But if you read the Bible, what happened just after the flood? Okay, he'd done a lot of boat building. (laughs) A lot of boat building. He's probably the world's best boat builder. I mean, I guarantee you he was the world's best boat builder. So he decided to take up a different profession. He started farming, agriculture. He actually he made a vineyard and he crushed the grapes. He made some wine and he got naked and drunk. You read it in the Bible? You didn't memorize that Bible verse, right? <laughs> but what does the Bible say about him? A guy who got naked and drunk. He received, say received. Sounds like a gift to me. He received the righteousness that comes by faith. There's never been another way. Then there was Lot. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 7, calls him righteous Lot. I mean, Lot made some major, majorly wrong decisions. He was Abraham's nephew. He lived in a city called Sodom. Really not a good city to, to live in or bring up your kids. <laughs> Don't hang around with the neighbors. In fact, anyone. (laughs) This is like, this is crazy. This is Sin City. Sodom. Uh, And having escaped Sodom, Lot's daughters got Lot drunk and had sex with their dad. Let's look at the verse again. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 7. Righteous Lot. What chance do we have? Then there's David. King David in the Bible, in fact, he's quoted straight after the verses we looked at in Romans. Romans chapter 4, verses 6 to 8. David also speaks of the blessing of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven, whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man the Lord will, uh, whose sin the Lord will not take into account. And yet David's 
who was a, a man after God's heart, and yet, at a dark moment in his life, he was an adulterer, and he murdered someone in cold blood. And yet, God didn't hold his sins to account. I mean, it's incredible. It's incredible. Now, don't for a one minute think, I'm saying, just believe God and do what you want. You know that's not what I'm saying. If I had cleared all your debts, and then imagine you had huge debts, and I came along and wrote a check and cleared those debts, and then you spent the rest of your life cursing my name and ignoring me and never once showing any gratitude, then it would tell me that you hadn't really got it. <laughs> right? Don't for a minute think this is saying, don't change your behavior. It's not for a minute saying, go sin and do what you want. Let me just make a point to you. Um, do, did you have to be taught how to sin? No. Did you, Tim, did you have to be taught how to sin? Well, how on earth did you do all those sins? Remember the... the did that just... <laughs> yeah, seriously, where, where did that come from? Right? So no one taught you how to sin. And yet you sin. Why? Because you're a... So why do we spend, so why do so many churches spend their time teaching moral behavioralism and legalism and teaching laws and be better, be good? That's the constant message in many Scottish churches, be better, be good. Why do we do that? If by being a sinner we sin, then what happens when God declares us righteous? New root, new fruit. A better way of approaching this whole deal, folks, instead of focusing on behavior, is live a life of faith. Live a life of gratitude and be righteousness conscious. Live with the knowledge that you're accepted by an eternal father, not based on anything you've done, but based on everything he's done. And I can assure you, sin will become dimmer and dimmer in your life. Your behavior will improve, I can assure you. Addictions will become less powerful. And you look at Abraham's life, and I know he made lots of mistakes, and I had a laugh about his life earlier, but to be honest, it did improve. And so too will yours. That's not the point. That's not the root. This is the root. You see, the root of religion, obedience is the root of salvation as far as religion is concerned. But when it comes to Christianity, obedience is is the fruit of salvation. So God's been incredibly good. Let's hear it for God. Let's pray. I just want to say thank you to you, God. Thank you for my salvation. And thank you that this salvation is available for every person. Father, thank you so much that you've made it possible for every single man, woman, and child on earth to be saved. I know not everyone is saved because they have to reach out their arms and receive the gift. But for those who have reached out their arms by faith and received that gift, thank you that we are declared righteous. Thank you that we are as accepted as Jesus is before the Father. Thank you that we are as loved as Jesus is before the Father. We just say thank you so much. Near, so very near to God, nearer I cannot be. For in the person of his Son, I am just as near as he. Dear, so very dear to God, dearer I cannot be. For in the person of his son, I'm just as dear as he. Glory to God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. So just where you are, just if you have received, so there's two types of people here. Only two. One type of person in this room has received that gift of righteousness. It doesn't mean you always fully understand it. It doesn't mean you always fully believe it. But you have received it. And there's another type of person in this room who hasn't received that gift of righteousness. 
So it's time for us all to respond. If you have received that gift of righteousness, then stop living like you haven't. Stop groveling before the Father. I don't mean don't have fear of God, but I mean approach Him with boldness. Like a son would a father who loves. You come to Him just now and just say thank you. Thank Him afresh. Appreciate that gift of righteousness. Give up your own hope of saving self. Trust fully in Jesus. And for you folks here today who haven't received that gift of righteousness, I'm not saying to you, become part of this church. You're very welcome to be. But I'm not saying to you, become part of this church. All I'm doing is presenting to you exactly what I believe the Bible says. This is God's way. He knew there was no other way. All that religion does is teach you how you can save yourself. And it's impossible. All that your mates in Edinburgh tell you is you're not that bad anyway. But you know in your soul that you and God are alienated. So today, why don't you come through Jesus? That's you today. And for the first time, you want to receive that gift of righteousness and come to God and know him as your father then I invite you to pray this very simple prayer with me just now and let this be your own moment of putting your faith in him pray dear Lord God thank you so much for Jesus today I put my full faith on you Lord Jesus I believe you died on the cross having lived a perfect life you took all my sin upon yourself and I come to you today to be my saviour I believe that you are the only saviour I believe you're risen from the dead And as I put my faith in you today, I reach out in my heart and I receive this gift of forgiveness and of righteousness and acceptance before God. As I begin this life with you, Jesus, I want you to take first place in my life. Be Lord from now on. Thanks for hearing. Thank you for accepting me forever. Amen.